Here we go in three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Chicago Title, Oklahoma's podcast, The Title Side. My co-host, Ken McBride. How are you, Ken? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a blessed person. I just married my daughter off to a wonderful young man worth every penny. Our guest today, the infamous Michael Carter, Keller Williams Platinum. We've been talking about getting you on this for about a year. Your story's amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Super happy to be here with, with you and Ken. Yeah. Uh, Ken, have any questions to kick this thing off with Michael? You know, one of the things that's always interesting to me is how someone actually gets into the real estate business, because uh, uh, it's it's not the kind of thing that there are tons of seniors in high school saying, uh, yes, when I grow up, I want to be a realtor. But uh, And yet we find the most amazing people get into real estate. How did you get into real estate? It's a great question. Yeah, um, I was doing a lot of service to sales type jobs, um, and that's really what they were. They were just jobs. I could never really envision a career with any of those jobs and um, ended up doing some land type work for, for Chesapeake. They had a contract and uh, was able to save up some money and, and just kind of dove in. Um, you know, I think like so many other agents, I probably got in for a lot of the wrong reasons as as far as, you know, flexibility and I'm my own boss and, and all those things. And uh, because of that, I... I did like what most agents do in the beginning, and I, I struggled for a few years until I, I kind of started putting two and two together. I'm curious, was there something happened that was your precipice? It was your turning point of, I now know where I need to go to be as successful as you are today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'll own it. I was really a part-time agent the, the first few years, and it's it's hard to be a part-time agent. Uh, I was with a, a brokerage here in Edmond, a super reputable brand. And um, after about three and a half years, I just knew it wasn't the place for me. I, I wasn't um, wasn't growing like I wanted to grow. Probably, you know, honestly, wasn't plugged in as well as I should have been plugged in, but just didn't feel like it was a home for me. And uh, joined Keller Williams Platinum uh, after about three and a half years. And, um, you know, it was interesting. Um, my first weekend at Keller Williams Platinum, I was on this cloud nine. I was so happy to be there. I was broke, you know, I was super broke. <laughs> Sounds like a honeymoon. Yeah, but I was happy for the camaraderie and the engagement and, and everything that I'd seen. And um, my mom called me, and uh, this is week one. And she says, well, uh, got some got some news for you. Uh, I was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so, you know, I was on cloud nine and now I'm, you know, just, just sitting there like, what in the world? What, yeah, what do I do? Throw a curve yeah. ball, it? And, you know, I, I was super thankful that I did get into real estate for all the wrong reasons for the next year and a half while she bat battled cancer. Um, I was able to spend a ton of time with her. And, you know, during part of that time, I would complain about certain things and, you know, uh, for instance, Keller Williams puts on a, a six, eight week course called Bold, you know, Bold. Very familiar. Yeah. And uh, again, I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be and, and, and how I wanted to show up as a real estate agent. And I really hadn't gravitated towards growth yet. And I was sitting there complaining at uh, uh, the Cancer Treatment Center downtown. 
uh, as she was sitting in a wheelchair and we were sitting there, you know, looking out the windows, waiting on her radiation. And I was sitting there complaining about it. And she looked up at me and said, God, Mike, I, I wish I could do something like that now. That ultimately, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that was the turning point for me, if I, if I can be honest. I, I feel like I was taking a lot of it for granted. And um, in that moment, I knew that I just had to do more. And, you know, uh, she unfortunately passed in August of 2017, but I was able to take so much away from that. And I knew that I was capable of so much more. And because of those moments that I, I got to spend with her, I think it turned my real estate career around. And when she passed, you know, probably unhealthy. That was, uh, I went, I went to building a business, whether that was healthy or not, you know, that was kind of my way of coping with her passing was just, uh, putting my head down and really grinding, uh, for the, for the next, next couple years. Well, sorry to hear about your mother. Absolutely. I, I Thank know, you for I, that. I, I personally know how much she meant to you from, from yep. talking to you, but, uh, condolences from us. Thank you for that. You know, I, that's a powerful story. And, uh, and I, I look back and, Sometimes uh, say, you know, what would I, what advice would I have given myself at that age? Uh, if you had, if you had a chance to go back in time to before that time, mm -hmm. uh, what would you have told the younger you? Yeah, just go for it. You know, what are you waiting on? Um, I think, I think we put up so many um, walls that are just imaginary. You know probably because of the way that we were raised, it tends mm -hmm. to be, you know, nine times out of 10, it, it tends to be, you know, part of the issue. But, but yeah, I would say just go for it. I, I was raised in, um, you know, just to be honest, a, a very impoverished um, house. I mean, we, we just didn't have much growing up. We worked for everything we had. And because of that, I think my mindset around money was probably not healthy. And, um, so yeah, I would just say go for it and and change your mindset around money and 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 now my mindset around money is entirely different. You know, money money is just a, a vehicle to do something bigger and and that was probably one of the hardest things for me to overcome. You know, Ken, I told you I've been listening to a lot of Simon Sinek lately, and that Love makes Simon. that makes me think of the story he told about him and a friend that had just run a you know, short marathon, half marathon, and there was a sponsor after the marathon that was giving away bagels. And it said, you know, big, you know, uh, tent with sign that said free bagels. And there was a long line of people that had just got done waiting to get their free bagel. And Simon said to his friend, let's, let's go get a bagel. And the friend said, no, it's a line. It's too long. I don't want to wait. And Simon said, what do you mean? Free bagels. I'm hungry. Sure. And the guy said, no, I, I don't want to stand in that line. And in that moment, he said to himself, he knows there are two different types of people in this world. The people that see what they want and the people that see the obstacle to getting what they want. That's so good. And it, it just that that little story has hit me uh, here recently about, you know, keeping your eye on the ball, keeping your eye on your goals and what you want, worrying about yourself and what you need to do to get there. 
So, I, you know, I think about you and I think about that stuff because I know you and, you know, you've grown a team. Tell yeah. us a little bit about how you started. Like, go back to your first recruit. Go back to sure. what did you say to yourself? Like, hey, <laughs> not only do I want to have a team in Oklahoma, but I'm going to take this thing out of state. Yeah. So, um, again, you know, post-2017 basically uh, started building a, a team. And I guess I acknowledged I wasn't going to do it great in the beginning. Um, uh, I brought in a gal, kind of, you know, recruited her based on leads and opportunities instead of a culture and built a small, I mean, I say small, I had eight or nine agents at one time from 2017 through June of 2019, we built, or I built a team of eight or nine agents and it was, it was a good team. Uh, in many eyes, it probably was a great team. Um, but I knew that it wasn't the team that I desired to build. Um, so obviously a lot of recruiting efforts go into it. You kind of build some systems around your recruiting, your onboarding. So I was doing all of that, um, in the meantime. So there, there's definitely some good that came from it. But June of 2019, I went to, um, uh, course by the uh, course by the name of expansion systems orientation led by Chris Soares who runs Place Inc if you if you've heard of that with with Ben Kinney and um it was a two day course in Austin and I left there thinking crap my business is not where it should be you know my my culture is not what it should be I've got you know some some holes where I shouldn't I wasn't as profitable as I should be um, I was paying agent splits that I shouldn't have been paying them splits on. So, you know, I, I left there with the mindset of everybody that's on my team now is, is basically going to be reapplying for their positions, which is hard. It's a tough, tough position to be in. It'd be a shock factor. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately it wasn't well received by the team. I'm not sure what I would think if Ken yeah. said that to me. Yeah, right, rightfully <laughs> he might, so. He might rethink yeah. things. Yeah, rightfully so though, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, if I were in their position, I would have had the same mindset probably. So, But I knew something had to change. It, it wasn't built long-term. And ultimately, you know, if we're in this long-term, we, we have to build the, the right systems and the right processes being ran by the right people. And I just, it just wasn't where it was at. And so long story short, it got burnt to the ground at the end of uh, June of 2019. And I went back into full-time production and um, ended up hiring Greg Brong a couple months later. Great guy. Great guy. Um, so it was me and Greg and one other agent had stuck with me through the burning it to the ground. Uh, she was a showing partner for me at the time. And so I was full-time producing. Greg was my TC, and I had a showing partner. It was three of us. And, you know, we just hit the ground running. I mean, it was probably the most profitable I'd ever been because I was, you know, yeah. not splitting it with any other agents. And uh, But it was a lot of work. I, I knew that I had needed to rebuild the team. And so I really started reading a lot, focusing on what does the right culture look like? How can I build agents that aren't just agents, but they're leaders in the community. You know, how can I help create a vision big enough for not only for them, but inclusive as a team so that we're all, you know, you guys have played sports. You, you know what it's like to be working for somebody beside yourself. Whenever somebody's looking at you, like, what are you doing? 
your ability all of a sudden kicks in when, when it's not just you. So, um, yeah, just building a, a culture that was bigger than any one person. And that was really what we were lacking in, in 2019. Elaborate on that culture a little bit. Give us a little bit, a little bit more about what that meant to you and, and the kinds of things you were looking at. Yeah, culture is quite the buzzword right now, right? Um, so I changed my hiring approach entirely. I started looking for uh, three things, people that were hungry. They wanted to wake up every morning and, and cr- create something bigger for themselves. They were humble. They were able to put their ego aside and you know work for the group and not just themselves. And then they were just nice people, people that you wanted to be around. Um, you know, not picking on anybody that, but at one point there were people on my team. It's like, yeah, I really don't like even being around that person, you know? And that was my fault from, it starts from the top. So, um, the, the other part of that is building a culture of productivity and purpose. So that's been something that we've been pushing really hard on is, you know, how do we build a team that come in every single day and are, focused on one job and that's lead generation. Every morning we lead generate from nine o'clock to 1130 as a team. We're all there. We all do the same things. Um, and then purpose, it goes back to having a bigger vision. You know, how are we going to create a team that we have a, a similar vision in giving back to the community? We have a, a vision to do something big for, you know, Christmas partner or whatever it is, you know, just some kind of purpose together that we can drive the machine forward. Our culture is based on our client success. We only succeed if our clients succeed, I think has been huge um, to just change that mindset. And then understanding that we have to learn to earn. So every morning, um, eight o'clock, our agents are there doing script practice and role play from eight o'clock to 845. And then we have a 15 minute huddle after that. Uh, Thursday mornings, somebody from our team is leading a uh, discussion in the in the market center, not just for our team, but in the market center around mindset and, you know, vision and that sort of thing. Um, I lead a mastermind class. It's been pretty important to me. Me and a couple guys in the market center uh, lead a mastermind in our market center every Friday at noon. So, uh, we read a book together as a team and talk about that in our Monday morning classes. So, so just having a mindset of, you know, understanding that we all have to get better. This thing changes so much. Yeah, I mean, it's changed yeah. dramatically from 2019 to, to 2022, and now it's shifting hard again. And if if you're at the uh, tail end of that, you're really going to suffer some consequences. So, our team understands how important learning is. Um, having a spirit of competition, I think is important. So, um, we have a 60 inch TV up in kind of our main area and it shows everybody, you know, what they've done today, how many calls they've made, how many texts they've sent, uh, how many appointments they've set, how many conversations they've had. And then they get points for that. And it's, it's a leaderboard and it creates a fun sense of competition. Then I run daily competitions off that. I'll, I'll hand somebody, you know, $50 in cash or a hundred dollars in cash based off of an appointments goal or something along those lines. And then we, we hold, uh, fun monthly competitions. I just paid out August because I don't think anybody's going to beat her, but one of my agents has um, eight pending eight pending contracts this month. 
And uh, this month's competition was sending her to Fargo, North Dakota for a two-day training seminar with some of the brilliant minds in our business. So, you know, that's a $1,500 expense to the team, but well worth it because it creates so much um, competition and camaraderie with the team. Well, the one thing that steps, or spoke to me was you, you mentioned reading and, yeah. and books, and I'm curious, who are your... Who is your favorite author or authors that Man, you lean on? I knew that you were going to ask that question, so I made made some notes here. If I wasn't going to ask it, I promise Ken was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of my favorite reads, uh, Hug Your People by Jack Mitchell. Um, I don't a, think I've ever read that one. Have you? You should read that one. Very, very good book. Uh, Atomic Habits, everybody knows mm-hmm. that one. Uh, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. I would highly recommend that. Built to Last by Jim Collins. Everybody knows Jim Collins. And then uh, Vision Driven Leader by Michael Hyatt. Those, I would say those five books, if you were to really pin me down and ask me what my business has been based off of over the past few years, those five books have influenced us more than anything. Excellent. Ken, he may have given you some new reading material. Most certainly. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. You decided at some point a couple, three years ago to expand out of state. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd be lying if I said that that's just been super successful at the moment. Um, but it, again, to me, it's you're only a failure if you, if you stop. And that expanding into Minnesota has taught me so much. Um, I'm not going to give any secrets away right now, but uh, we've got some pretty big plans uh, more locally. And... Um, yeah, it's just crazy the the things that you learn from from starting a business five states away. Yeah. Um, but but again, it goes back to people, and um, the people run great systems that are are ran by by processes. And uh, if you can if you can find out those three things and build your business around it, I'm convinced that I could go do about any business if I can hone in on those three things. And mm-hmm. that sounds really silly. No, it doesn't uh, mean. Especially coming from, you know, somebody that graduated with eight people in his class. and, and Eight whole people? Eight whole Were people. Were you one of those eight? Yes, sir. So, yes, so seven others. Seven. <laughs> yeah. In a small town, you know, it, it's just crazy. I, I, I really think that if you can hone in those three things, you can do about anything. I, I have a motto. Do you have a motto? Uh, I'm sure. It, I, it's I, an I, old one, but it's very simple. It's you will never hit a ball if you do not swing a bat. Absolutely. And, you know, thinking about what you just said, uh, you're right. There, there are no failures. No. Every time you swing at a ball, you're going to hit it or you're not, but you're going to learn something. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I've seen with you is whether that turns out to be a, a great success or moderate success, or as you might call it, a failure. Yeah. You're going to learn. Yeah. And kudos to you for the effort. That's what I love to see people give effort. Yeah. Um, my mom had a fifth grade uh, education. My dad had an 11th grade ed- education. But growing up, they had a furniture business. They had a diner. They had, you know, they they raised emus. That, you know, just the silliest things. But they never stopped. And I think that's what I learned from them is it doesn't really necessarily matter your education, you know, um, that was a limiting belief with me at one point. Well, I don't have a college degree. I, you know, 
drank out of college, drank myself out of college and all those things. So it was a real limiting belief. Uh, went to class with eight other people, graduated with eight other people. But at some point, if you just tell yourself, I'm going to fell forward and I'm going to do it quickly, quicker than other people, and you make some notes and learn from them, I, I'm convinced you can do about anything if you have the right people with the right processes and the right systems. And attitudes. And attitude, yeah. Something I read the other day said, you are all you need and you have all you need. Yeah, that's so good. And, uh, and so uh, the hurdles that you've overcome uh, could have held you back, but they didn't. Uh, where are you going now? What, uh, what direction are you headed? Well, um, I'm personally started doing some work in Broken Bow. I don't know how much you know about that, the Hochatown market. Um, it's uh, hey, I, lo I love me some Grateful Head pizza. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> Grateful Head, that's good stuff. Um, you know, it's just a slower pace. It's kind of the wild, wild west of real estate because um, it's so far down there. Um, but but for me personally, I, I have a passion for that market and... I think uh, with the right passion, you can you can break into any market, and so that's something that I'm personally doing as a team. Um, I would not be surprised if if you see um, authentic real estate services and and several other markets pretty fairly quickly with some of the marketing and and advertising that that we're doing. But again, you got to right, find the right people, right? So uh, that's the first challenge. Yeah, it's funny when I think back, you know, I had my 10th year anniversary with Chicago Title this April. Wow. And uh, Ken and I have had many discussions about what 2012 looked like for us, uh, especially the end of 2012 when you kind of reflect mm -hmm. where you are, you know. And, and we had lofty, lofty goals. And if I do think about one thing that has really been the, the key about our success, it is you know, it's recruiting, but it's recruiting the right people. And you can't expect yourself to, to bat a thousand. No, there's right? no way. I mean, you're going to make some, some right decisions. You're going to make some wrong decisions. You're going to make some right decisions where the people just didn't work out, yeah. you know? And, and I think the best leaders look in the mirror when that happens and ask ourselves, what, what could we, what could we have done better or different to, to keep that person that we saw some real value in on track and, uh, for sure. Yeah, I've I've filled a few agents in my career. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, and, it's, and that's that's part. And of you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And there's your growing moment mm -hmm. is look in that mirror and then think back. How can I be better? And no matter how awkward and hard it is, I always try to do an exit interview um, because we're going to do a cross sell with that agent one day, anyways. I don't want there to be bad blood. And on the second part of that is, I want to learn what could I have done better. How could I have you know, helped you meet your goals. Cause ultimately it's, it's not my goals, it's their goals. And, yeah. and, and I think, I think that's probably where, uh, I went wrong for a while was I wanted everything to be my goals instead of sitting down and saying, you know, what are your goals? Oh, you're what you want your wife to, to get out of her job so that she can be a stay at home mom. Okay. So how do we work towards that together? You know, those sort of things, um, I think separate a good leader and a great leader. Well, and another thing that you've mentioned that we believe is very powerful is peer-to-peer -peer accountability, where you're not just working for yourself, but the person to the right of you and the person to the left of you, uh, you have some uh, obligation and, and some camaraderie 
And, and it sounds like you've really created that on your team. Yeah. Um, over the past year and a half, uh, we, we started reading a book called The 12-Week Year, which basically identifies how annualized thinking around goals is so incredibly difficult and wrong. Uh, we all have a tendency to you know, set a goal in November, December, January, and by February it's gone. So uh, we have broken our goals down into 12 weeks now. So uh, we create a big vision as a team. Uh, we do a lot of planning. You've probably talked to Chris Morris. He, he helps with some of that planning every now and again. And we sit down as, as a team in a room away from the market center so that there's no distractions. We turn over our phones. And for four or five hours as a team, every 12 weeks, we sit down and go through everybody's vision, what their goals are going to be, what they hit, what they didn't hit, why they didn't hit it, uh, their tactics around those goals, and, and if they made sense and didn't make sense. And collectively, we not only help end up, uh, as a team, create a team vision, but individually we, we sit down and really help each other through that process. And then every Monday morning as part of our Monday morning meeting, we, we hold a weekly accountability meeting around that, those 12-week goals which I think has been super beneficial. And it, you know, it's like creating a goal and going home and telling your spouse about it. Are you going to be more likely to, to think about that goal if, if your spouse is, you know, prodding you on the shoulder every once in a while, like, hey, you, you said you're doing this, but you're really doing this. What, what's going on? It's the same with the team environment, I think. If, if a team member says, yeah, I want to close 60 homes this year, but they're never on time. Do they really want to close 60 homes? Or if they're never lead generating, do they really want to close 60 homes? I just had a, <clears throat> I just had a visual of Katrina McBride <laughs> tapping Ken. Uh, Ken? <laughs> well, you know, we, uh, we've seen the power of accountability. Absolutely. And, uh, and I was going to ask you how you've built accountability into your systems. And, and I think that's what you've just, just laid out because you're not only sharing your vision, that you're sharing your progress Absolutely. And, uh, and laying it out all, all on the table in front of the people whose opinions are important to you. So, so, uh, so how does that accountability work? Is it, is it working in your team? Oh, I mean, it's not easy. Um, everybody likes to think that they want to be held accountable, you know, until, until the alarm clock goes off. So it's not easy. Um, I'm probably a little too lax at points with accountability. If, if there's a flaw of mine, I, I, I love people and sometimes I love excuses too much. Um, but it all starts from the top, right? Um, my team kind of goes as I go is what I figured out. So if I can do a better job of doing what I'm supposed to do, it, they tend to follow. Um, but at the same time, they know wh what the expectations are of the team. They know their own goals and uh, tactics around those goals. And so um, not only do we do the weekly accountability meeting, but I also do individual coaching one-on-one -on -one with each agent, either weekly or biweekly. And then we also do some group coaching. So we'll, we'll sit down in a room with five or six of us and we'll make calls together. Hey, show, show me how you're doing this. Tell me how you're doing that. Let's go through what a, a listing appointment looks like, um, scripts and role plays and 
ironing out, you know, what kind of text messages to get engagement, those sort of things. So, so yeah, there's a lot of accountability. Is it perfect? No, it's, it's something that's actually on my 12 week uh, goal plan is to kind of hone in and, and tweak um, our accountability process, but we're working, we're working on it. Side note, it's game week. It is game week. Who are you rooting for this weekend? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, you're wearing the right shirt. Well, you, you had an orange <laughs> pen, so I wondered. I don't even know where that came from. It ended up on my desk somehow. So, no, no, I probably need to trash that. Nah, it's it's good. I, you know, I'm I'm excited. I'm a sports junkie, but uh, you know, thank God college football's back. Are you going to the game? No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. I uh, I'm looking forward to here in the near future. I will travel somewhere out of state for the Jim Thorpe Award, but I haven't decided exactly which game. Uh, I know going into this year. Um, I had always had a vision of going to Clemson and seeing Death Valley, and I, I just hear wonderful things about that. But <laughs> I, I, we got their defensive coordinator. So you talk about accountability. Look at Brent Venables. I, I think he's probably Mister Accountability. Well, obviously, you know Teddy Lehman is is on our staff half days, and so I, I get a lot. <laughs> I get a lot of uh, of Brent Venables, and uh-huh. Teddy is a consummate fan. I mean, I. I I just know from talking to Teddy that Brent has a, has absolutely infected Teddy's personality with accountability and a drive. And Teddy's a good worker. He's a hard worker. He's uh, diligent at what he does, and he's really good. Um, it's just funny hearing some of the accountability stories about Brent, and this is one that he told me this last week, was the one thing Teddy didn't know until this stint of Brent coming back was how Brent holds every single person in the organization accountable. Not just the players, not just the coaches. It can be an equipment guy. It can be an audiovisual person. It can be somebody in the booth. He treats everybody the same. Well, because they're all so important, right? And they're all, and they all feel that inclusion because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And when you think about holding just one portion accountable and not others, it can it can lead to uh, people not feeling to be a part of the team. Yeah, and um, that's the one thing he said. He he specifically was at a practice recently, and I guess a couple of the coaches got a pardon my language, but got a pretty serious ass chewing. <laughs> and uh, had it, it kind of put Teddy back that he said, "Wow, he's not just only holding the players accountable; he's holding those coaches accountable." Yeah, and that's leadership, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, and, and I, I think we'll see that translate onto the field. Oh, I do too. I yeah. know he's excited. Well, it's also culture. I mean, that's, that's right. uh, yeah. uh, how can you have a culture without some type of accountability and the type of accountability that the person at the top, uh, that, they, that they hold themselves accountable and then they're responsible for holding everyone else accountable. So that, uh, so that you build that culture and, and how you treat one another and how you how you accomplish your visions and your goals uh, is important to each of you. Absolutely. Yeah, different demographics, different types of people. We're not all college Division One athletes. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're in real estate, <laughs> which means we can still hold people accountable just in a different way. Absolutely. You know, and different methods work. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you big on personality tests? I know oh, that yeah. you're at oh, Keller, yeah. so I know Keller does that, but do you specifically do that for your team? Yeah, it's it's um, not something that we touched on, but we have uh, an intense hiring process, and 
one of the very first steps is to take a Keller personality assessment at KPA. Uh, it's it's Keller Williams personality or I've disc assessment. It. I've done it twice. Yeah, I, and I already know what you are. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you know we're looking for different personalities for different roles. You know, I was having this conversation with our executive assistant the other day because agents weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I said, now listen, they're wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they know what they're supposed to be doing. But if they were as organized and detail-oriented as you are, they wouldn't make great agents probably. Amen. So You're exactly right. You know, it's a, it's a fine balancing act of uh, educating the agents why it's so important that they do something up front so that, you know, she's not having to chase it later and all those things and compliance and everything. But at the same time, you, you've got to know... And it's not a end all. I don't think. I don't think it's a one size fits all. But by any means. But I do feel like it's a good starting point, and then verifying that assessment. So we sit down, and it's hour and a half, two hour session of verifying that KPA. Okay, you said this, and then we ask a question to follow up and and, and see if that's accurate or not. So. It's intense. And and you know not not only just on the hiring, but our everyday dealings with the public. If if I'm on the phone talking to somebody, I'd, I'd probably need to know or read fairly quickly what kind of personality I'm talking to, and and that's going to allow me to to know which road I need to take in scheduling an appointment, or um, do I need to talk to a spouse, or is that Ooh. the driver of the relationship? You know, all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, we we read a book together as a team. Uh, it's called Surrounded by Idiots, which I don't I don't know why it's named that, but the book goes through the entire uh, disc personality, and not only explains it, but explains how those people like to be communicated to and negotiated with. So surrounded by idiots. Surrounded by idiots. Sounds solid like book. something Ken would write. <laughs> <laughs> no, David, not at all, not at all. But we're in a cyclical business. Yeah, uh, we've always, I've always told people that we ride the roller coaster of the real estate market. You know, sometimes it's going up, sometimes it's going down, and you have to know how to operate and and how to be hold yourself and others accountable uh, in in both the good markets and the bad. Yeah, we're in a transition. It would appear right now. How do you view this transition, and how does it change? Your business model. That's a great question. No, that is a great question. Um, you know, yeah, we're, we're definitely shifting. I think for for us, it's educating our agents because we've got agents that have joined the team since COVID. You know, it's all roses and and easy and you know all those sayings. And and this is this is this market's going back towards pre-COVID, which is a healthy market to be honest. You know. Um, but it's educating our agents on how to be great negotiators. You know, we're, we're reading Never Split the Difference as a team right now. Great book for negotiating. And, um, you know, you used to throw a listing up and it would be under contract in seven minutes and everybody went on their way. Well, now you actually have to negotiate a little bit. You know, buyers get a little bit more. You've got to be able to communicate that with your sellers. But I think we're in a little bit of a an area of time where buyers and sellers are having to figure some of that out too. So we can we can preach pricing a home right all that we want, but you know my neighbor got this 4 months ago 
And so it's it's educating everybody on on that shift, not only the public and, and our dealings with the public, but our agents and, and really teaching them how to maneuver and navigate um, those conversations. So I think we're going back to more of a healthy market. I mean, you used to log into the MLS and it would say 5,000 plus listings, you know, it was never 2,700 like it was for, for a couple of years there. I mean, we got down to 1,800 and something active listings at one point. Do you know where we're at now? Uh, 4,700. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Working back. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a healthy market and I think it's a good thing for the public to be honest. I agree. Yeah. As far as my business goes, um, you know, educating our agents, um, being able to have hard conversations, um, just being, you know, our, the name of our team is Authentic Real Estate Services for, for a reason. We're, we're not going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to show up as us and, and we're going to give you news that sometimes you don't always like to hear, but, but we know that you need to hear it. So, so there's no hard conversations later. So, um, yeah, we, our business, I mean, we take in three to 400 new opportunities every month. Um, we've put more, uh, listings under contract over the past six weeks than I think we ever have. So, um, business to me is good. If, if you, continue to treat it as a business. I think um, we're probably going to have to work a lot harder. And, you know, this has been a message I've told my agents is you're going to have to work harder to get the same results as you did in 2021. And so um, if you have that mindset and uh, continue to treat it as a business, I, I think we can survive in, in any type of business. One thing Ken and I always like to ask is, and and this is not specific to Chicago Title. I know you're a, a great client and you don't only close with us. I know you experience other title companies, but what do you typically look for in a title company? Oh, it's all communication. I mean, real estate in a nutshell, I think, is communication. That's that's why we're here is to solve a communication problem and to be um, independent third-party communicators that don't have an ego or... Um, feelings involved, you know, that, that can be hard for people sometimes, but, but yeah, for title companies, we're looking for great communicators, people that, um, are, know their role in the transaction and don't want to hand it over to the agents to do. Uh, we see that a lot, unfortunately, not from Chicago title, but from others. Um, and, and handling communication in a way that is educational, um, but not terrifying. You know, because unfortunately we all have to give uh, bad news sometimes. Um, but it happens. Typi- it's life. Typically, it's just a problem that we have to work through. Mm-hmm. And if people can understand that it's something that we can work through together, then guess what? That's our value, right? I mean, that's uh, we'd be Carvana if if there wasn't <laughs> if there wasn't any any value in a real estate agent and, and in a uh, in a title rep. No, I wanted to ask, uh, we've, we've talked about a variety of things about your business and about how you got into it. Is there anything that we should have asked? Is there anything you'd like to share that we didn't ask? Uh, no, not necessarily. I, I think it's, uh, I think I, if I could say one thing, it's it, for real estate agents, you just got to treat it like a job, you know, uh, whether we like it or not, we have a service to the public that, that we offer and if you'll get up every day and just treat it like a job and a career, um, this whole thing gets a lot easier. Um, it's it's whenever you try to willy nilly it and, and kind of make your own schedule and let's let's admit it, 
uh, a lot of us are real estate agents because because we weren't really great at being coachable. We weren't really great at having a boss. So um, now we're our own bosses, and uh, a lot of times we're not great at that either. So I think people tend to underestimate the power of sales. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I say within our company, uh, every time I get a, on a podium, will, will all of the salespeople please stand up? Yeah. And I don't stop asking that until every single person in our company gets on their feet. And it's, it's a message. It, it doesn't mean we're selling to the public or to a client. We all have a, we should have a servant's mentality. I've yeah. always looked at sales as servant. a servant yeah. mentality piece. And it's just something that I've done from day one. And I, I think most people within our company have kind of gotten to know it, but it's it's really funny the new ones that are on board. Well, why, they get it really quick when why, I say it. Why is that though? It's because salespeople have a stigma, and at the end of the day, um, we have to we have to figure out a way to break through that stigma. And I think that's where education comes in: script practice, role playing, showing up authentically as we are and not somebody else. You know. Um, the more that you can get through that stigma, you're laughing, go for it. Uh, I'm only laughing because you said role-playing. I have a specific person in our company that I bring in to uh-huh. role-play Yeah. that every time Ken comes in and, and the sales team knows it's role-play day, <laughs> he is the hardest. He is tough. They get scared. They get nervous. But at the end of it, they're all better. And, and that that's the point. The first time I did group coaching and made people stand in front of the room and make calls, they were terrified. And when we left that day, they all said, can we do this again? Yeah. Yeah. yeah big, we all have to get out of our comfort zone. And that's where success happens. Uh, to me, the, the typical real estate agent, and Greg and I have talked a little bit to, to you and, and Chris mm-hmm. about this, is... You know, the the sooner that you get out of your comfort zone, the more success you're going to have and the quicker success hey, you're going to have. I was at a competitor for nine years. I did very, very well as a salesperson. And I started getting recruited by a certain individual that's in this podcast. <laughs> and a lot was said over, gosh, what, a six-month period, right? And I can argue with a brick wall, you know? No. I can. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> but there is one thing he said to me that to this day will not leave my, it will never leave my head. But he looked at me and he said, David, you want to grow, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And he goes, you will never grow in your comfort zone. And I had heard that before, but in that moment, in that situation where I was looking uh, to do something that I had always wanted to do, in that moment, he hit me with a dose of reality and that was it. That was the one thing that made me go, oh, he's so right. And coming full circle, um, that's what bold was for me, mm-hmm. was growth. And, um, you know, I owe it to my mom for challenging me to, to go to good that. Good for her. Yep. And good for you for accepting it. Absolutely. Michael Carter, I can't say thank you enough for giving us the time. Time is money. Time is precious. And I know your time is valuable. So thank you. Ken, another day, another podcast. Thank you for being a part. Glad to be here, David. And if I could say anything to everybody out there, and as always remember, it really does make a difference where you close. 